Welcome everyone to Know Thy Brand podcast, the branding podcast for women in business. Welcome everybody to Know Thy Brand podcast, a podcast that tackles gender inequality through the brand lens. From brand strategies to marketing tactics, from female leadership to female entrepreneurship, from corporate brand to personal brand, Every episode is designed to inspire you and to support you in a journey for success, whatever success means to you. Hello, everyone. Today with me, we have Darren Robinson, the managing direct, uh, partner of Anderson Wise. Hi, Darren. Hi, Julia. So Darren is uh, one of the panelists uh, that we had at the event uh, Uh, to launch the campaign to uh, champion women in uh, technology and in finance that uh, my company, Nota Brand, and The Loft have uh, organized for 2022. And uh, during the panel, we discussed a lot of interesting topics. Uh, but again, um, we didn't get the chance really to go a bit in more into depth on some of these topics. So uh, this podcast, this episode is really designed to give Darren the chance to tell us more because you spoke about something really, really important and I would like our audience to, to get the chance to hear your opinion. But before we proceed any further, can you give us a little bit of your background professionally, who you are, what you do for a living? Yeah, sure. Um... As you can tell, I'm, I'm British. Um, my background is, is mainly the, um, the, the recruitment and executive search industry. So I've been in this um, business since 96. Um, I've worked in, in, in London, England. I've worked in Sydney, Australia. Um, and um, the last um, 16, 17 years in, in Luxembourg. Um, and recently, when I say recently, it was um, only three years ago, myself and a, and a few former colleagues um, set up our own business. So um, I'm, I'm now uh, what one would call an entrepreneur also. Yeah, which is fun, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Um, what uh, I find particularly interesting is the fact that you are a man and uh, you accepted our invitation to join us on a panel to talk about gender equality. What motivates you? Why did you want to be part of it? Yeah, I, I think it was... Um, I've always thought that when we do have these uh, specific days, and we know, and we all agree, it probably shouldn't just be one day, um, but I think when I've seen panels and they've only been women, um, I've always asked myself and, 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 and with a question of, do we need men involved? And I think the answer is yes, because although, of course, we can be a big part of the problem uh, for women to advance their careers, Um, but also, there's many of us that can be a big part of the solution. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. We need men to be part of the solution. Uh, my, my listener in the podcast have heard me to ad nauseum saying that, uh, you know, it, it's only if we work towards um, gender equality together that we can, uh, we can achieve it. Otherwise, we end up just talking amongst ourselves and... Uh, yes, men are part of the problem, but I think the, the, the vast majority of cases is not that men want to be part of the problem. Uh, it's just that there is not maybe uh, acknowledgement of the problem per se. Yeah. 
And, um, and so having men that actually want to be part of the solution is fantastic. We need you. So it's very, it was very exciting to have, to have you on, on the panel. Um, and uh, so during the event, you talk about something very specific. Um, the broken rugs. Now, normally we talk about one broken rug, you actually speak about two. Can you explain us what they are and in your experience, how they manifest? And of course, what can we do about it? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the, the broken rung was first coined by McKinsey. Yeah. And really it was the, the first rung on the ladder to management. And they described the broken run as where women struggle to get to that, to the next rung. And that is really in the earlier in their, in their career, women are less likely to apply for management roles, even though they are more qualified sometimes than their male counterparts, they still don't apply. Um, and we, there's a number of um, debates as to why that might be. Um, and in general, it's, it's, it's possibly that women are less risk takers and also need to feel that they have all of the qualities and all the skills and criteria before putting their hand up for new opportunities. And whereas in general, men don't, they will just put their hand up. So there's two things here, and that's of course, um, empowering women to feel safe. Um, and that is, you know, encouraging women to put their hands up for those um, first step in their career. Um, but also there's an obligation for an employer to understand this and recognize that there are some women that will need to be helped up and to be encouraged to apply. So we don't have, and we don't have to talk about this broken rung again, but that's the first broken rung. Can I just stop you on one second? Yeah. Someone could say, well, why is my problem to find these women and help them up? I mean, if they don't put their hands up, their problem, not mine. <laughs> so for yeah. someone who works at recruitment, you actually yeah. advocate for people to make this effort. Why? Yeah. I, I think um, I, I could talk really selfishly, and that is the fact <laughs> that we need more candidates, and there is a great pool of uh, female candidates that aren't necessarily in the right management positions now. So if we make those steps early, we'll have more um, talented individuals, male and female, um, in all levels of management you know, throughout the organisation. So, you know, we, we, we've talked about, you know, having a balanced population of male and female at the board level at the exco level but we haven't really talked about it throughout the organization and of course if we don't start from the beginning you know we will only be um, filling quotas in the boardroom or the exco um, and those quotas can be a little bit forced rather than natural absolutely and that's why the problem is so many times you hear, well, I will get some women in my board, board but I don't, I cannot find them. And in part is, well, maybe you didn't look properly. Uh, but second is, it, there is a shortage of candidates because they stop so early. And we know that the fact that we want women on the board is not because it just looks good, but because women, like as any, any type of diversity, brings you know, creativity brings different way of doing things. We want women to be there as we want other people with different backgrounds, specifically because it's proven that gives more, uh, uh, brings success to companies. To have Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's no longer anecdotal. There's enough evidence now to overwhelmingly see 
that gender diverse management team, um, it, it means it's a more successful organization. Absolutely, exactly. But let's go back to the second rank that you were saying you were talking about. Yeah, and, and this was something, in fact, that Minister Backers uh, also brought up um, during the um, our conference. And that was regarding when women have their children and how how many of them don't necessarily either re-enter the workforce at all or choose a part-time um, option. And there's a number of um, um, challenges with that. We recognise that Luxembourg does very well in, in gender parity on pay, um, one of the best, in, if the best in the EU. Um, but because we have such a large population of women part-time due to most of the time coming back from uh, maternity leaves, that we also have the largest disparity of pension gap for gender. I think it's for over 40%. So wow. it's huge. It's huge. And it, it means that um, women then become dependent because of this gap. Now, I think how there can we encourage um, women to come back to the workforce more, uh, more often than not? And I think there's an obligation there for employers to, to seek out ideas of how we could encourage women to come back to the workforce, making it easier for them to come back. Because, we, of course, we know the constraints of um, when, when we have children is, you know, at the moment, there isn't that sort of, um, there isn't a, a balance between who takes care of the child. If there is a, um, uh, if there are, uh, a man and uh, a father and a mother. It's usually the mother that takes the lead. And unfortunately, that just means that it makes it more difficult for women to get back to the workforce because if they have the uh, opportunity to put their children into a creche or gardery, um, it's expensive. Um, not all the time is there availability. And there's challenges when children are a little bit older um, where the school system in Luxembourg, especially the public um, school system, where the hours for that schooling are not um, not modern. They're not modern hours. They're not, not equipped or their curriculum, not only the curriculum, but it's just the hours that the school system has doesn't help anybody um, have a normal, um, a normal um, hours of work. Yes, for the for the audience that is not in Luxembourg, that was a shock for me uh, when I first arrived because as a working mom, I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? Because kids start just before eight and they finish every day at 12. And then they start again on when, Monday, Wednesday and Friday from 2 to 3.45. So effectively, a mom should be there to pick them up, feed them, oh, mom, someone to pick them up, uh, feed them, bring them back to school and when they go to back to school. Otherwise, you have them at home all afternoon. And it's definitely a system they used to work probably when mothers were uh, staying home, the vast majority. But as a working mother, I can tell you it, uh, it's not easy. Obviously, I, I had to find an alternative solution. But to be honest, it's not just the, the Luxembourg, because when I was in the UK, in the UK, schools finishes at three. Um, and when the kids are very young, you can't put them in any... Uh, setting within the school you can pay extra someone else yeah. Yeah. and uh, and I can tell you that when I moved from Singapore to London my first year basically all the money I made was to pay childcare for my three children yeah. 
yeah. so that would work, which is insane. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it probably touched on something that's unique to Luxembourg, and that is, of course, we are a foreign population. Um, you know, Luxembourg city itself is 70% foreigners. Yes. What that means is very few of us have a family structure. So, you know, when I uh, finished school, when I was a child, I went to my grandmother's because my mother was working and my father was working. So I suppose in Luxembourg, we don't necessarily have another generation of family around us that can would normally take up that role that now we have to rely on a crash or a gardery. That's that become a problem because then when you look at, you know, practically how much money you spend into uh, childcare and then thinking, okay, so I would like to work and still, you know, there is a, a huge problem of extra unpaid work and mothers do anyway. The mental mental workload is something that I I, I challenge, I still challenge my husband. It is very helpful in everything, but I'm still like, and the mental workload is still mine. It's just one of those things. <laughs> um, we so work I think that's, that. uh, that, that's one part that, you know, how, how do we solve that? And I think it's maybe for employers to create a lot more flexibility. Um, and I think people are recognized um, that there is an issue here. Um, and I think that's brought about again, possibly by a shortage of available talent. So I think employers are becoming a little bit more creative um, for those reasons, which of course then it does help, uh, you know, uh, women come back to the workforce. But then now there is an interesting point because I am surprised that flexibility is not a, like, you know, that the world has discovered this thing of working from home and, you know, wow, you can actually be productive. I've been working from home as the, an entrepreneur since I started my company. So for me, it's normal. Uh, but now finally companies are opening up with a force during the pandemic and now they're, you know, some are continuing. Now, this is an interesting topic. I know it's something you're also interested in because uh, on one hand, it's positive because it gives us more flexibility. But working from home has also, had, especially during the pandemic, has hit very hard, uh, particularly the female population. What is your, your view on uh, working from home? Yeah, this is a, it's an interesting one. I, I'd be very honest with you. When I first went into the pandemic, and of course, everybody had to work from home, I wasn't a big fan. Um, my, um, I, I did change my mind, though, after a few, <laughs> let's say after a few weeks, to realise that not only was I productive, but the rest of the team were as well. Um, in fact, more productive, I, I would say, because not only did we have those, you know, more hours in the day because we weren't commuting, um, but I think that we we sort of rallied around and, and, and approached it a bit differently than we normally would. Meetings um, were, were, were much easier to have online than they were visiting a, a premises or somebody else coming to visit a premises. So I think we became more productive. I think the downside was, you know, was potentially not switching off. You know, so when was the beginning of my day? When was the end of my day? You know, usually the commute told you that was the beginning <laughs> and that was the end. Um, and I think that became a, a challenge for people. But then people started to get settled into it and they, you know, they used other ways to manage their, you know, the start and, and, and finish. Like walking the dog was the beginning of the day. Walking the dog was the end of the day to, to, to have that transition into um, the, uh, the home, home, <laughs> home life as opposed to home working. But I think one of the things that um, worries me, um, and that is the 
there are more women, and I think the last surveys I've been seeing, it's about 70% of uh, women would prefer to be working from home. So a much larger proportion of women will get the opportunity to work from home as well, because I think everybody and almost every company has proven that actually working from home, productivity um, is either the same or goes up. So we all believe in it now. However, let's look at two individuals, one that's in the office five times, uh, five days a week, and one individual that's in, let's say, two days a week. That visibility that somebody has face-to-face is really beneficial for somebody's career. You know, they could be walking down the corridor, bump into the boss, and just have a conversation about a specific idea or a specific project or work idea or solutions, whereas somebody working from home would have to schedule that call. And I think that um, eventually will play out when promotions are giving out. And I think it's up to managers now to start considering how are we going to make sure that we manage people that are working from home and those are in the office um, you know, without bias, without um, just because somebody hasn't had the opportunity for the FaceTime, are we measuring people on the, you know, the same criteria for promotion? Now, if more, statistically more women will be working from home than working in the office, that is a concern for all of us should have. How do we make sure the women working from home and men working from home, anybody working from home, um, still gets the opportunities for promotion? I think you raise a very important point because it is it could be a cause for, for women and men, people that choose to work from home, to be penalised in the long run. And as so the benefit is there. The, the flexibility is definitely a benefit something that uh, women have been advocating for a long time, that need of being able to dash out if the child is sick and don't have to ask permission or, you know, being able to, to pick up the kids and, you know, and then go back to work. It's something that we've been ad- advocating for a long time, but it's true that if you're not there, you become invisible. And then how your chances of being promoting get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. So, Again, you, you seem to suggest that it's up to the employers and the managers to really make an effort to try to find a way to yeah, keep this. Yeah, I mean, this, this is the new reality. Um, and I think it's, it's really up to, to managers to be mindful and to come up with you know, solutions as to make sure this doesn't happen. Otherwise, they will, you know, we, we will lose um, all of those years that we've gained um, of, of, of this. Um, you know, the parity of genders, and we've got a long way to go. But but I'm worried if we if we don't make necessarily necessary changes, then we might go backwards. Well, actually, the pandemic has been very detrimental, very detrimental to women in many aspects. Um, like the women are the, the vast majority of people that lost or decide to quit their job are women because yeah. they struggle with. Uh, managing working from home and managing uh, the kids particularly like uh, homeschooling and that but there are a lot of other uh, also women tend to work in part-time jobs so mm-hmm. they've been let, let out the first the first one to, to let be let uh, let go and uh, and also they often work in jobs they were more at risk um, to, to you know to, where you couldn't work from home effectively 
So yeah. you just lose your job. So in that sense, has been extremely detrimental. I'm noticing some benefit in a sense that we've seen leaders, leaders, um, you know, like uh, like Jacinta from um, New Zealand, mm-hmm. that have demonstrated that uh, a different type of leadership, more empathic, uh, more uh, caring, uh, was what we needed through the pandemic. Actually, there is a study. I, I, I don't want to sound like that. Um, praising the women, but there is a study that shows that all countries that had a female leader during the pandemic um, had done actually better uh, in managing uh, the whole situation. And that uh, helped, I think, a lot women in different ranks by showing that what we bring as women in our leadership style uh, is still valuable. I don't think it's better, but it's valuable. While before women were kind of forced to be a bit male in their leadership style if they wanted to grow to progress career well i think in that sense the pandemic has shown that we can be women and we can be a leader we can be ourselves and it still works um and which brings me to a question for you uh what is what type of leadership you think we need to to support women and to support gender inclusion yeah, I mean, you've touched on something now, and I really think this is the, you know, this is the age of the woman, Vita. It really is. Um, I mean, we don't have to look at some of the horrible things that are going on in the world right now to realise that um, if women, women were in charge, we probably wouldn't be in these situations. And I think that goes for countries, um, and I think it goes for companies as well. Um, and you're right. I think that women in the past had to, let's say, um, put on or develop masculine traits. I mean, I look at, um, you know, one of the prominent leaders when I was young, not Margaret Thatcher. You know, yeah. they called her the Iron Lady for a reason, yeah? Um, she was tougher than most men, and, and she had to, to get where she was, she, she had displayed a lot of masculine traits. But let's face it, these days, nobody wants to see these types of traits anymore. We want to see empathy. We want to see leaders that lead from the heart. Um, we want to see listening. Um, we, we, we want to be listened to. And I think that these are more natural characteristics of women. Now, and I would say that those leaders that will do well today and those male leaders that will survive are the ones that are adapting and developing those skills. I think they become more natural to women, um, but I think these are the skills that everybody is looking for today. Especially, you know, when when we are in my you know professional business, we are looking um, uh, for companies that people want to work with. They're always asking about what is the leadership style, uh, who is the leader, and what type of style do they have. And when we talk about, you know, it's a it's a firm that values flexibility. It's, it, it, uh, you know, the leaders really do listen. Um, they do lead from the heart. Uh, they're empathic. Um, these are the sort of qualities that people are looking for these days. I think we all are, not just in companies, but, you know, on the global stage as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there is a, there is a shift that is happening. Again, maybe triggered a bit by the pandemic, the fact that uh, we are now, we realize that we are more vulnerable, that all we thought mm. that we were, you know, invincible, we could do anything. Yeah. And then you, you need a little, little, little virus to put us all That's in a right. very tough situation. And um, I, I think that you touched on very important things. If, if I could just ask you to wrap it up, 
Um, what would you, in all of these, the recommendation you will give to a company, someone that comes to you and they're looking for women or they, they want to employ people, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, right now in Luxembourg, we are um, fortunate enough to have, have, have gone through um, a number of years where we are now recognised the value of a balanced leadership, a balanced company, um, diversity within the organisations. And, and I continue to implore that, you know, people like myself um, are always providing a diverse um, candidate pool when we're supplying uh, new employees, um, but also employers to keep asking, please provide me with a diverse pool, a diverse shortlist of, of individuals. And, and sometimes, especially in the leadership roles, um, be patient because it's sometimes it takes a little bit longer um, for, uh, for women to apply for these positions. So in fact, there are times where, uh, you know, as a recruiter, we have to encourage women to apply because sometimes they don't necessarily apply because they don't think they were good enough. And actually, you know, my message is you are good enough, um, so apply. Uh, but also, I think we have to tap people on the shoulder more, more often, just to encourage, just to get to a stage where it is normal that you would just apply, even if you feel you're not quite qualified for the role. Men do it all the time. Please, um, I implore women to, con to continue to do it and do it more often. And I think that the more is normalized, the more yeah. women will feel confident. Absolutely. So it, it works on, on two sides, right? If, if, if women, if companies seek women and give them the chance to try and demonstrate they can thrive in their, in their job, then other women will look up and say, well, if she did it and she wasn't, you know, 100% the right candidate, but she did it and she succeeded, then maybe I can do it. We just, you know, we need to change the narrative, basically, what we say in our mind. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and recognize that those qualities that, you know, 10, only 10 years ago were, were probably, many people thought they were weak qualities. Um, these are qualities that are not weak. They're real strengths. And I think that, you know, use them. Use the superpower <laughs> that women have naturally, more naturally than men. And as I say, you know, men, if they don't uh, adapt and, and, and um, change their style to these more uh, natural feminine characteristics, they also won't survive. So I think we're all, you know, we all want leaders that lead from the heart. And this is the benefit of a diverse, uh, you know, uh workforce because men can learn from women while before we women we are trying to catch up on men and be like men now we can exchange back practices and say okay I like what you do there like you're more confident or more direct or more whatever like as a woman I look at a man in that sense and a man to say oh but I like to as you listen to that person or how you took on board what they say and so we can all learn from each other which is the power of diversity absolutely Look, it's been uh, fantastic talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. And um, we speak soon, I suppose. Absolutely. Thanks again. And stop.